Thanks for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organisations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges, joined by relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And I'm really, really excited about this um, particular guest that we're going to have on today. Uh, This gentleman... Hardeep, who I met on the recent Goldman Sachs 10,000 program, which I was fortunate enough to take part in. And if there are people out there who are um, entrepreneurs or run small businesses or independent HR professionals, it's definitely worth looking into um, because I had a a fantastic cohort of people that I was really lucky to meet and be developed alongside. But the reason um, I'm introducing that is that I met Hardeep Ray. He's, his presentation about the Kaleidoscope Group and the work that he does was absolute standout for me on the program. It was one of the most um, moving and powerful presentations I've ever come across. So Hardeep, he's the co-founder and CEO of the Kaleidoscope Group. The purpose of the organisation is to transform the lives of people of determination. Now, if you don't know what determination is, don't worry, I'm going to ask as soon as I go to Hardeep so you can explain exactly what that means. And the key is by maximising their potential and then offering them access to genuine employment opportunities and supporting them potentially to be successful entrepreneurs. So over the last seven years, he has met with over 1,300 people of determination across 65 different disabilities from 28 countries. This has given him a unique insight into how to help people to maximise their potential from a multitude of different perspectives. Now, you might ask, why is it um, that Hardeep does this? And that's because on a personal level, he's the father of a severely disabled child of 15 years old. So he understands firsthand how to overcome the alternative challenges that life can sometimes offer. Professionally, he's had a successful career in financial services for over 25 years. And he also is an expert by experience of the Care Quality Commission. There's lots of other things we're going to learn. I'm going to give Hardeep a chance to introduce himself personally now. So Hardeep, please just tell us a little bit about yourself and perhaps expand on your story. Thank you very much, Lucinda. And I agree. The the Goldman Sachs programme was absolutely fantastic. And I love the conversation that we had that day. And it's really interesting how something very innocent leads to something like this, you know, an innocent chat over dinner. So delighted to be here today and tell you about my story. So um, I have spent about 25 years in financial services, and that's pretty much how I've been built and trained. And I've had a, a wonderful career and I've absolutely loved it. Um, I, I often say that I was trained as a corporate animal because when you're in that financial services world, it is unfortunately all about money, right? You know, I think in in recent years, well-being has become a lot more prominent um, and mental health has become a lot more prominent. But in my day, which is sort of the late 1990s till the, you know, sort of 
coming up to the 2020s, it was, it was a very different mindset and things have really changed. Um, and I suppose what, what really changed my life were, were two incidences. I mean, Eastern was obviously the, the first one. And there was also the tsunami that I was involved in in 2004, the Boxing Day tsunami. And that really, that was something that really changed who I was as well. Because when you realize that money can't change a particular life event or a circumstance it puts a very different perspective on things so so actually it was the tsunami first of all that really sort of had a, a big effect on me and did then of course it was there, Asian. did you say you were there yes oh, gosh. yes yes we were there we, tell us a little bit we more at, about that so we were actually in uh phuket i think it was when the wave struck so it was on the, the morning boxing day it was on the morning and the wave came into our hotel that was actually on the beach. Because the irony is whenever you go on holiday, you want a hotel that's right on the beach, right? Which yeah. in, in our circumstance was the worst thing that we could have possibly asked for, you know? And and but so we, we had an incredibly lucky escape listener. You know, it was one of those things that there was a, there was a moment where we, you either take the left door or the right door, you know, the kind of oh, blue pill or yeah, red pill in yeah. the matrix. I've got, I've and got we happened to take- Tell me about it. Oh, it was it was it was just it was just unbelievable. And we and we took the door that luckily led us to higher ground. And that is how we could escape from the water. But if we'd taken the other door, that would have taken us uh, to a different path. So so that was the first time that I, I really sort of reflected as a human being, because what I had to do in that situation was walk away from people that were dying, that were crying out for your help. And I knew that that was going to be the last time I would see those individuals. So I think as Hardy, that person that I defined at the very beginning, that was the first time that I had a real shake up to my character. You know, apart from that, I'd almost been dressed up in cotton wool for most of my life. So that was that was something that really that really shook me. And then the second thing that shook me, of course, was Ishan. And Ishan's birth happened at a time when I was at the peak of my career. So Ishan is Obviously, your son. Ishan is my son, I should yes. say. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Ishan is my son who was born in 2006 in November. And there was a last minute birthing complication when Ishan was born. And that resulted in a severe brain injury, a global brain injury, actually. So there are many, many things that Ishan is unable to do. But the one thing that he or the, the, the many things he can do are sort of almost esoteric. So you can't touch them. But he inspired me to set up kaleidoscope which actually is an organization that invests in disabled people that have great business ideas or it helps disabled people to find employment so those those fundamentally are the two things that kaleidoscope does and and i think it was through Ishan's eyes that i realized that the disability world even exists listener you know I, I didn't even know what disability meant until he came along and i'm embarrassed to say that but that is actually the truth you know i think Disability is one of these things that if it doesn't hit you in life, then you can't you can't touch it and feel it. You know, it's it's got to really it's really got to resonate with you emotionally. And so when Ishan was first born, um, I went through my own postnatal depression as well. Mm -hmm. um, I had my own mental health challenges, and I think the thing with having a disabled child to those parents that are listening is that you know, it's you know, that that sort of internal fear that you always have when you're about to have a baby. We all think it, is that baby going to be okay? We yeah. hope it's going to be fine. And, and I was one of those people that thought it too. 
you know, and you don't know how it's going to affect you until you're until you're in that situation. So, so Ishan was a, a second part of my story that was that was really prominent. And then my my third part to the story was actually working with James Kahn, who was one of the ex dragons from Den, Dragon's yeah. Den. Uh, Lucinda, that was an amazing experience. It really was very special. And I hold, even till today, I hold James in very high regard for everything he did for me and the opportunities that he gave me. And, you know, I'm going to write a book about this, you know, because it was right. all about sort of getting a, getting a job in four days with your, with your dream icon. You know, it was just, just phenomenal. But the two years I worked with him really helped me to understand how to invest in startups and how to help hold the hands of those startups as they're as they're growing so so those are the sorts of things that sort of you know began to define who i became as a human being i started in one way and my my direction has changed based on those three life events really so was the james Car- james Khan thing after you'd had Ishan? what was the timeline for that it was about five four four years after I'd had Ishan. So, so what happened was Ishan was in 2006. I then took voluntary redundancy from Gartmore in 2008 towards the financial, just when the financial crisis started. And then I sort of was an entrepreneur for a year or two. And then I had the opportunity to work with James. So it was really, I think, from about 2010, 2011 for a couple of years. And what was the sort of job you were doing with him then? Because this wasn't Kaleidoscope, was it? So this talk... No. No. This was before Kaleidoscope. This was, it was very, very interesting. So it was a growth and exit company. And what we would do is we would help businesses that were looking to scale aggressively to, to do that, to scale aggressively and then prepare for an exit. So, so my role specifically was to actually bring in mentors or growth experts or growth partners, people that really knew how to, to build businesses and effectively sell them into these companies. And then those individuals would work with the CEOs to build those businesses and get them ready for scale um, and then an exit. And we would help them to find a buyer at the end too. So I had a phenomenal time, Lucinda. I mean, I met probably coming up to 600 CEOs of SME businesses over that period of time. And for me, the learning was incredible. You know, I had the, all these experts funny enough similar to guys like like us on the, the the goldman sachs program so these sorts of individuals that i was placing into companies and then i was watching them grow so it was a it was a really excellent experience and then the other big thing for me was actually working with james and being mentored by james and understanding his secrets to his success that was really invaluable for me just through just observing him and his team and how it all worked and how he built his empire so that really inspired me and helped me to better understand how I could help people with disabilities um now actually that was a foundation so it's like this, this vocation isn't it so we talked about you found that you know having Asian um and this business experience it's, you've kind of but literally brought it together as a kaleidoscope to build build stuff into a, sort of something a different picture uh, in terms of how things work. So um, just kind of go back to the, this term, and I think it's interesting about uh, almost reflecting on, you said at the start you had this, a sort of period of depression, which I can understand. It's almost a grieving, isn't it? As you, as um, you know, the, the child that you thought you were going to have, you had a different child, doesn't mean you don't love them, but that vision has changed. And then, um, 
also you talked about the tsunami and I'm sure there was almost like a post-traumatic almost survivor's guilt element to this that all of this Mm -hmm. is quite heavy duty stuff and it's great that you've pulled it together into something so positive with kaleidoscope you you refer to this um this met this um term people of determination because and the reason I want to explain this is I think that uh people like myself and people listening and you said you you don't know how to deal with disability until you're faced with it sometimes I think we're almost a little bit embarrassed um and uh, because we don't quite maybe embarrassed because we don't have a disability we don't have to deal with it we don't quite know how to respond and so that's where people unintentionally perhaps don't make eye contact or or whatever it is it's it's a slight sort of don't know what and and the reason I'm saying that is we don't know what the term is right so determination isn't something I'm familiar with as a term so could you explain a bit about that and then perhaps how you know how us as people and many of the listeners who are part of organizations can tap into this potential missed opportunity of all the great people out there that have disabilities and, and engage them in their businesses sure so so first of all how you define disabled people is probably one of the most controversial topics of of the modern time you know yeah. like in the uk we call them disabled people in america we could call them people with disabilities right in the uae and sort of more asian companies uh, countries they could call them people of determination right because okay. you know that it's a different term that's used for disabled people but people of determination is one of the most positive terms I've heard in recent times and actually it's it's actually trying to define people in a more positive way than a negative way but you know in my experience and having spoken to over 1300 disabled people in the last seven years no one has sort of come to any agreement on what the global term should be so people use different terms but but we actually really like people of determination it's got a positive connotation to it and then I think when it comes to the the point you raised about disability and sort of people feeling awkward that's a really really big one Lucinda and and you know we're, anyone that's listening to this that may not be surrounded by disability or have disability in the family as such or friends would probably feel a little bit awkward talking to somebody that had a disability they may be in a wheelchair they may be blind they may be speaking with a BSL interpreter. They may be an amputee. You know, for us, anything that looks different sometimes, unfortunately, is a bit is a bit unusual and out of the ordinary, and therefore we react in a different way. I often liken it to a networking event. When you go to a networking event, see different people. You know, you may or may not gravitate towards somebody that has a disability, depending on how you feel. And and actually, I, I'm what. Well, until the time that I had had Ishin and until the time that I had gone through those mental health challenges myself, I hadn't realized this or I, I hadn't appreciated it. And the reason I understood it is because people felt awkward coming up to me, right? Yes. So parents that were friends of mine that had children didn't know how to say, how are you? They wouldn't even, so what they do is they wouldn't even come up to me in, at all. Right. So, so I'd be like, hang on, why did exactly? I'm like, why didn't you come and ask me how I am? Because they're worried if they ask me how I am, I'm going to say, actually, I'm not very good. And these are the situations I'm going through. So they preferred to avoid that situation. And I think that, you know, I used to blame people for that, Lucinda. I used to, but I don't anymore because actually it's not their fault, right? We are all conditioned and we are all built according to our background biases are inbuilt into our minds whether they be conscious or unconscious so half the time we don't realize we're doing something 
right? And and actually, we we are we're offending somebody by what we're not doing, and it and then we're getting misinterpreted or or miscommunicated. Mm-hmm. Our intention is so. I now tell people that haven't really had this experience with disability, you know, one of the things we do with Kaleidoscope is help them to get over that awkward feeling. And that is the first rule. If you are genuine in your heart with your intention, right, there is nothing you can say that is wrong. You can't say anything wrong because it's not like you're trying to be um, disparaging or you're trying to put that person down. You're just curious, right? So just like you'd go up to anybody else and say, hi, my name is Lucinda and shake their hand or touch them on the shoulder if you know they, they haven't got a hand that can be shaken, then, then you would do the same thing with a person with a disability. And if you were there at a certain event, talk to them about the event as you would talk to anybody else, right? You don't have to make the disability an issue. Right. And we often say, try it. You know, I would actually say to anybody today, you know, if you're in an environment and you see a person with a disability somewhere, make a special effort to go and talk to that individual and talk to them as though you're seeing straight through their disability. And I promise you, you will be really impressed and really surprised by what you see and what you hear. And if the conversation about disability comes up in a very natural way, then that's fine. You know, I used to get a lot of parents that did actually say to me, so how is your son? How is he doing? Right. And that and I would want to be asked that question. I wouldn't think that was odd, but that parent that was going to ask that question might think that was odd. So I think that's a really important thing. You know, we shouldn't be afraid of people because they look different. And that applies to any diversity characteristic, not just disability. And then to your third point about the opportunity is that, you know, I have. My in my time of this last seven years, where I've interacted with people with disabilities, Lucinda, I cannot begin to tell you the the capabilities that people with disabilities have, and I'm not going to refer to them as superpowers, by the way, because I know in the in the disabled community they don't they're not actually hot on that phrase superpower. You know, at least the people that I've spoken to, yeah. you know, yes, they have different capabilities and they represent themselves in different ways. And some of those capabilities may be greater than other people. But, but you know, I think until you start to, to interact with the disabled community and you start hearing stories and seeing people, you can never really understand what they could bring to the table. And it really is quite phenomenal. So I think it would be good actually to have a few, I'm sure you'll have a few examples up your sleeve that perhaps you can inspire people as to, to those sort of things. Because again, it's it's about our um, conditioning. We haven't necessarily, if, if you've seen a disabled person, if you're lucky enough to be in an environment where you've got a disabled person that you work amongst and you see how capable they are, then that starts to break your sort of paradigms and your prefix um, views, doesn't it? Uh, but lots of us may not see that because they don't necessarily get the opportunity uh, to contribute in the same way as able-bodied people might do. Um, in terms of um, an HR business, if, if, like obviously our audience is predominantly HR, what practical recommendations would you make to HR professionals or business owners to genuinely embrace disability, to increase the chances of, of access? I mean, this is a point, actually, at the moment, everyone's looking for talent. Right? You know, It's hard to get the right people. And this could be a whole group of people that are not necessarily accessed, tapped into? So the first thing I would say is that people and everything to do about people and understanding people, whether they are disabled or not, is really important, really important. And as a CEO of a 
myself. I've employed 50 people with different types of disabilities over the last seven years, right? So, so what I would say is, first of all, if you are going to employ a person with a disability, you need to really understand that individual, what their capabilities are. You need to really understand the role that you've got for that individual as well, and make sure that that person's capabilities align with the role. And I know that sounds like a really obvious point, Lucinda, but actually, people with disabilities, the trick is a lot of the individuals I've met, they don't actually really want to do the roles that they're applying for. And that's because society has prevented them from doing the roles that they want, right? Mm -hmm. So in a way, they're almost sacrificing and going for another role that they, they may not necessarily want. So you've really got to understand, first of all, that that person is applying for the right role and that that individual can do that role, okay? And then the second thing is your infrastructure as an organization is critical, right? You know, you need to make sure that your people understand disability, your organization is accessible. So you have had whatever diversity and inclusion type training you need for your organization, because, because actually one of the biggest fears that companies have is that if they get it wrong, then it could be very expensive for yeah. the company and for that for that individual as well. So getting that infrastructure in place in the right in the first instance is is critically important, critically important. And I really need to highlight that. With infrastructure, and then is that is, is that um, sort of physical infrastructure or um, yeah? What do you mean by infrastructure? Because that could mean quite a so, lot. Of Sure. So, so what I mean is by from, from the simple point of a person with a disability being able to access your building in, in the first place, yeah, physically get in, Why whether they have cool? a wheelchair, whether, they, yeah, exactly, or whether there's someone that's challenged by steps, you need to make sure that you've taken that into consideration. Um, you then need to make sure that you've made reasonable adjustments for them, right? And, and here is a scheme, Access to Work, which is an amazing scheme that we have in the UK, where the government will actually provide a company with money to help that disabled person get up to the standard of a non-disabled person in terms of what their additional needs are, and they would pay for that. So as an example, if you had somebody that was visually impaired and they needed a guide dog to get into work, right, the government through access to work could pay for that right? Or that individual needed additional software on their screens to be able to read information. The government would pay for something like that, you know, so reasonable adjustment. Sorry, does the government pay? Yes, 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 yes. So that's right. So because sometimes there's a misconception that the employer has to pay these additional for these additional services, Lucinda, and therefore they think that hiring that disabled person yeah, is actually expensive more expensive. So yeah, that's, that's, that's on top. There's a risk of in, in principle, because of course everyone's all everyone's worried always about employment tribunals and things like that, aren't they? If things go wrong, that it would be perceived as an issue because of the disability. It's like a race um, concern that people would use as, a, as an excuse potentially, uh, you know, not to be. I realise it's not politically correct, but that's is a, that does happen, doesn't it? But knowing yeah. that the yeah. actual cost um, of of you know addressing some of the physical issues, it is you can access this money through this access to work. Um, yes scheme is useful for yes. to know, isn't it? No, absolutely. And then also once that person is in the role, okay, access to work can continue to provide support to that individual, right? That's really important. So, so I've got a person that's working with me now, he's actually got four PAs 
personal assistants yeah. and different people work on different times and different shift patterns. But that enables him to be able to do his job more efficiently because with, with, with Ross, his name is Ross, he's got cerebral palsy. So writing or typing might be slightly more challenging for him, but then actually the individuals he's got helping him are, are absolutely incredible. You know, and not, he doesn't just... They're yeah, they're all funded. Access. Yeah, they're funded through access to work as well, and that's that's the thing a lot of companies don't realize. It's that actually, it's this. It's so much easier to leverage government funding to help that person with a disability to make your organization more efficient. Because the third point I would make here, Lucinda, is that people with disabilities. We need to get out of this mindset that we're doing them a favor by giving them a job, right? Or actually, I want to tick a nice box and give them an apprenticeship or an internship. No, I want to change that mindset. Yeah. These individuals can actually help you to become more profitable as organizations. They can come up with certain ways of doing things that you may not have thought about before because they have the talent of thinking differently. And, and one example I was just giving yesterday, and this is a fantastic case study, is Ford, the Ford company, right? Yeah. Henry Ford, 100 years ago, had over 8,000 jobs that he had specced out and he, the way that he actually worked, and he wasn't being he wasn't being philanthropic here. He was being commercial. Was what types of different dis people with disabilities could do those different types of jobs? And one of the things he found is that three people that could see that had vision were were less efficient than one blind person when it came to counting nuts and bolts. Right. Oh, right. So he replaced those three people that could see with a person that was blind because that blind person was faster at touching and feeling and yeah. counting bolts than the others. So, you know, there's some real, there are some real amazing nuggets of excellence that you can get from working with people with disabilities if you give it a go. And if you look at the case studies that are already out there, they will give you a lot of confidence that, that actually working with disabled people is a fantastic thing to do. So with your case studies, is that something that you have on your Kaleidoscope website? Is that the sort of thing people could look at for inspiration? to understand more about it. We're, we're always adding to our case studies, but yes, absolutely. We would welcome people to go to our website to have a look at, uh, look at our, um, to get some ideas of case studies, but also to talk to us because you know that the reality is when you have a conversation with anyone, Lucinda, there's so much more that you can articulate in a conversation than you ever could in writing. And I think that actually speaking to people, like if anyone engages with Kaleidoscope, the first thing they would do is they'd be talking to people that are disabled. Right. So everyone that they're going to talk to has a disability of some sort. And and that automatically makes them feel that they're connecting to something that's different and unusual. And then, of course, we can start sharing stories with them about about a lot of different things that are being done. But the Valuable 500 initiative right now is a major initiative that's in the disability world. And that's all about getting the top 500 companies and CEOs in the world to recognize that disability needs to be on the agenda, you know, for all these organizations. And that movement, which was started by Caroline Casey in 2019, has been remarkably successful and is one of the very few things that's actually brought disability up to the fore in line with LGBTQ and gender and BAME, which are usually overtake disability in terms yeah. of the diversity strands. Um, but, but that initiative, the Valuable 500, demonstrates that companies are definitely more serious about hiring people with disabilities. But also, Lucinda, you've got to take care of your current workforce. 
do you know, as, as an employer, as a CEO myself, right, I need to look after the people I've also got. Getting your own staff to disclose about their challenges and what they're going through is of critical importance because right now we're talking about hiring people with disabilities. Currently, you might have a non-disabled employee that could become disabled in the workplace because they're overstressed, because they haven't shared what they're going through at home, because they might be grieving. There could be so many different things that could actually cause them to have burnout and go over the edge. And then you have a much bigger issue as an employer to worry about at that stage. Are you so are you think talking there as uh, mental health would be considered a disability? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I had a really um I had a really it was a very unfortunate conversation with a with a good friend of mine a few months ago where she had lost her job. I think I told you about this at dinner actually. She'd lost her job and she had asked to come on one of Kaleidoscope's incubators because we have an incubator program that helps individuals to find their purpose. And she wanted to come onto that program. And I'd said to her, look, you're not, you know, I'd love to have you on the program, but actually you don't, you don't identify as being disabled. And then what happened very sadly was over the coming months, she wasn't able to find a job and she found herself in a really horrible place and she became depressed. Um, And then she reached out to me again and she goes, Hardy, you know, I'm disabled now. Am I allowed to come on to, to one of your programs? And she said it tongue in cheek. But in my mind, I was like, my goodness, actually, you know what? I could have helped to prevent that. And yeah. that made me realize that, you know, now we, we have actually branched into this world of people working with people who won't be disabled today, but they could be in a vulnerable circumstance, like lost their job, for example. And therefore, we can help them before they fall into that trap to actually get back onto the right pathway. So I'm, I'm constantly learning myself, Lucinda, you know, that learning yeah. never stops. I mean, we had this conversation, we did have this conversation at dinner. And again, I'm thinking that, that there will be people listening to this who might have skills that they might reach out to you and we'll make sure your LinkedIn connections and everything are here who might want to, um, you know, volunteer. Cause I was like, Oh, I could probably help with a session or facilitators or that sort of thing. If you want, it, it, lots of us want to put back, don't we? And um, and I think if there is anyone listening there that thinks actually this is a great thing, then they should maybe reach out because it's about facilitating and prevent prevention. You want to have enough there to be able to prevent people, you know, getting into difficulties, um, as well as obviously helping people who are already um, challenged in terms of their ability to do things. In terms of how Clydescope works. And I suppose what you do, and again, for people listening in, do you help place people? I mean, is it almost like a recruitment type thing? Would you find people roles? If if I if I'm um, an HR professional working in a certain business, and they actually, we we, it's interesting. I wouldn't necessarily go out and say we want to recruit a disabled person, but it's more about because mm-hmm. that's like tokenism, isn't it? But it's more, um, are we making ourselves? Are, are we open to all? people in terms of our recruitment how would how might Mm. someone come work with you to make sure that they are truly open to a diverse range of of people or would they come to you and say actually we've this disabled person is the best person for the job how do we bring them in what's the best thing for people to do so the positive discrimination towards disability at the moment, sadly, is what is still required. Okay, yeah, because okay. we're not in a world where, where it's equal. So and that's why we, can, we might come out. Yeah, and, and, and so actually, a lot of the people we speak to actually say, look, we would like to, we, the word that they often use, actually, is that we would like to have more disabled people in our funnel 
That's the that's the word I yeah, hear quite a sense. lot. Yeah. 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 So in their in their recruitment funnel. So the easiest thing to do is to contact Kaleidoscope if you're thinking about building that database of talent with disability into your funnel, right? We'd love to be able to help you. And we've come up with a very smart way of doing that using an incubator program. So right. it's actually we're incubating people with disabilities that we select. And we're training them very specifically for roles within that organization to make sure, first and foremost, that they hire the right person. Because to my point earlier, yeah. if you if you only just have one or two interviews and hire the wrong person, that's really, that could be devastating. Whereas yeah. this is a six-week program and you get to watch that individual over that six weeks or individuals, because we put a few into the into the program, and then you can identify them. So that's the first thing. So it's sort of helping to make sure that you identify the right person. And the second thing that we can help companies with is making sure all the reasonable adjustments and access to work are done in the right way. Okay, because that is a very complex area. So you want to make sure that that individual has got all the right support. The third thing we can do is make sure that that relationship between the employer and that disabled employee continues in the direction that it should continue in and this is a critical point Lucinda because you know a lot of the fear that employers have is that you know once we've you know once we've got a disabled person on board you're almost like you're on your own right what happens if something goes wrong we never leave the hand of the employer and we never leave the hand of the disabled employee so if things start to unfortunately go wrong we get involved in mediating we get involved in helping that individual that may be underperforming potentially. You know, we we work with the company to minimize any kind of reputational damage or damage to the individual or the company. And then in the worst case, if it didn't work for any particular reason, we can still help to transition that person into another role, right? So the point there is understanding how I felt before the disability and after. If you hold the hand of the employer throughout that entire journey, they're a lot more comfortable and at yeah. peace, right? Throughout you're that. You're risking it for both parties, aren't you, really? You're Ab- absolutely. It. Absolutely. And that's a critical word. So, so for us, that's the first biggest thing we can do for anybody is de-risk that entire yes. process if they're bringing on a disabled person. And then the second thing we can do is actually help an organization to make sure that the people that they've got already are as well looked after as they can possibly be, right? And I always think about this as a CEO, who are my top performing people and how do I need to make sure that they don't burn out? Okay. How do I need to look after them from mental health? Who are the people that are not performing and how could I be developing those? Right. And finally, if there are people, you know, that shouldn't be in the company and might, might need to be made redundant, how can we ethically let those people go into another role? And we've created an incubator to help with that. So that whole people piece is we're very, very passionate about that, Lucinda. Right. So that's the big second piece. And our final piece is, revenue generating, I'm glad to say, how can we help companies to sell their products and services into the disabled community? Because what a lot of people don't realize is that there's 14.1 million disabled people out of 67 in the UK, right? Out of 67 million. So that's one in five. And they have something called the purple pound, 274 billion pounds per year, okay, as disposable for themselves and their families to spend on goods and services. So when you have restaurants that don't have disabled toilets upstairs, right, they're actually losing out. When you have shops that have a step 
that wheelchair can't to prevent a wheelchair, you're you're losing out on business, right? There are some basic things companies can do to drastically increase their revenue from the disabled community. And that's something that we've got into as well. Excellent. So that I think is a really quite an inspiring, um, it's a quite inspiring uh, overall program of things, I guess. But hope, but I think the most important thing is maybe I hope listeners have seen how we could actually engage and not be scared of this. It's uh, you know, go back to the mm-hmm. point at the start where um, perhaps because we don't quite know how to respond to somebody, we might avoid um, not make eye contact, not go and have a normal conversation. Actually, if we want to face up to this, tap into the purple pound, tap into the one in five people that are talent that we may not be tapping into currently, then this is a great way by engaging with Kaleidoscope, you can help de-risk it for people and help them yes. understand how to do it uh, and and really yeah, make a big difference for everybody potentially. So it's a win-win. It's not about something you're doing just to be nice or kind or altruistic. It's creating a genuine win-win for the businesses and for the um, disabled people that you're working with. Absolutely. And I think one one thing that's really that a lot of people get when they start interacting with Kaleidoscope, just in general, okay, is that they recognize and have a greater appreciation for their own lives as well. You know, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of people meet me for the first time and they hear my story and they're like, wow, you know, d- don't take this in a bad way, Hardy, but I feel really blessed about my life or I feel, you know, and, yeah. and, and that makes me very happy. Right. Because then because sometimes we can get carried away with some of the minutiae of life and think world's coming to an end. But but actually it's not because there's other people about how fortunate we are. Absolutely. Precisely. Precisely. Focusing on too. Yeah. Very much so. Brilliant. Um, As I say, absolutely. So, so inspiring overall. And I'm going to ask you actually, how do you want to say if people want to get in touch with you? Obviously, I'll put in the show notes so they can go to those um, to get them. But how could people reach out to you? So they're very welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn at Hardy Right. And and I love, I love, I'm very happy to be messaged and, and approached. So I always respond to that. And also our website, kaleidoscope.group, which you know I'm sure you'll share, Lucinda, but oh. but that but you can contact us through our website as well. We're always very, very open to having a people. Wonderful, wonderful. So it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today, Hardeep, and I look forward to carry on talking with you because I think this is a, a brilliant, brilliant um, programme that, that you're you're doing there. So uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Lucinda, for the opportunity. I really enjoyed talking to you. Fantastic. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising? to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast.